0: Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjoe Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment
1: of CTN. To learn more, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. And the topic for today is developing leaders while delivering results. And our guests for today's show are John Cope, who is the Vice President for Information Services and Technology and the Chief Information Officer with the Renassler Polytechnic Institute. Hey, John, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: Very good, sir. And we also have Tom Skill, who's the associate provost and the CIO with the University of Dayton. Hi, Tom. How are you doing?
3: Great. Thanks. Uh, thanks. Uh, glad to be here.
1: Thank you so much both. Now, the reason we wanted to talk about this uh, topic, which is developing leaders while delivering results, because that's an expectation. We want strong deliver leaders to not only deliver results, but also have some of the people who they identify or perhaps all people who they lead in some sort of a superstar performer, and uh, in that process they have to make changes in the organization or into the into the hiring process. And what do you, what do they do every day as they go about delivering the results? So what is that magic formula? What is that secret sauce? for these strong leaders who do this consistently. We wanted to have two of our top leaders to come and join and share their views. So that said, John, my first question would be to essentially uh, get from you what's the benchmark of a developed individual who is a superstar or a super performer, which a leader should have consisted across the board. When they say they are delivering superstars, then, then they should have a definition in mind. What would that be for you?
2: Well, I, I think first and foremost, uh, and particularly if you're doing this uh, while they're performing their their jobs, is you're looking for outcomes. What are the positive outcomes uh, that you can uh, attribute uh, to a certain group, uh, and particularly to a leader? Um, and how do they go about doing things? Uh, we actually go through a process. Uh, Every year, in fact, we just finished one uh, last week where my direct reports uh, actually uh, rate the next level of direct reports in front of each other. Uh, And we actually do it on a a two-axis scale. We do it on uh, outcomes and behaviors. So did you produce things? Uh, which is great, uh, and did people want to work with you, which is great. And, you know, you find people that everybody wanted to work with, but they didn't really produce much uh, or at least as much as you would have liked. And you you also find people that produced a lot, but uh, everybody wanted to leave them alone. And uh, what we really look for are the people that uh, are really good at collaborating across not only our portfolio, but across the university uh, and produce uh, the sort of outcomes that we're all proud of. Um, So I think, I'm not sure it's a secret sauce, but I think that leads to uh, a good evaluation process and you start to identify people that are are perhaps a little bit more down the the structure than uh, at least what I see every day. And, you know, the first time we did this, it was really interesting to see uh, which of my direct reports were really uh, straightforward in this process and which of them didn't really want to sort of open up to say, well, I do have some problems here, and uh, over the years as we've done this more and more, it's been great to see how we collaborate and challenge each other and actually get better results out of that process, and I hope develop better leadership.
1: Now, Tom, when you uh, listen to John's response to my question, it definitely would resonate with you, but then my concern would be is that do we play the law of averages when we talk about delivering results or developing people? Is that what going to cut it in in today's interesting digital fast moving environment
3: wow okay good yeah good 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 question there I think that when when, when we look at it here um, you know I kind of start from the perspective is that am I, are we bringing in a person here who really can resonate with the value system and the mission that we're trying to accomplish, and will they be able to really join in as a as a as a really effective team player um, I, I think the the concept of, of superstars scares me a bit because, in some cases, that suggests kind of an independent, autonomous uh, person that doesn't necessarily have to uh, reach across the aisle as much as we'd like to see that. So I think so. The balancing for me is really figuring out: do they have the right technical skill mix? Do they ha- do they have the right relational skill mix? Uh, do they understand how to, how to read the cues when they're engaging with their colleagues? Um, and are they able really to, to step up when the challenges are most intense and maintain composure while at the same time delivering results. So, um, so it's kind of an, it's an interesting chemistry, and, you know, if I, if I actually could, could test for that on the way in the door when you hire people, that would be wonderful, but I think there's, there's, a bit of a, there's a bit of a gamble when you're hiring folks. So, uh, but we're, I think we clearly are looking at similar kinds of, of characteristics as, you know, skill sets, competencies, Soft skills, um, good fit with the organization. Um, you know, perhaps um, a, a sense of wanting to both build their career but also help build the institution. Looking for for those qualities.
1: So, John, a superstar. I mean, at least the, the way Tom, you know, uh, mentioned about what a superstar could be, or what's the regular definition is someone who's an obnoxious. Uh, loner who, while great results, but is, is simply a prima donna type who doesn't uh, care about anyone else. Now, what if, if I were to turn this definition around and, and call this as an individual who every day comes and maximizes his performance to begin with? And of course, work towards the end where wherever he can or she can be on, uh, of support and or be a resource to others, that person is. But at no point do they basically go below their best just because they have to uh, not exactly play along with others, just because uh, uh, an organization or a given individual who's also a leader is saying, you got to play well, and this is my definition of what, what playing well means.
2: Well, it's a little pejorative with what I heard Tom say, but that's okay. Uh, I I think you want to be careful about people that are uh, unidimensional, that are only good technically but can't work with people or can work with people but don't bring a lot of skill to the table, uh, those sorts of things. But having said that, you know, in the IT field, you do get some really great contributors who are great, if you will, backroom people, but you don't want to let them out. Uh, uh, in the front, and they may be great coders or they may be great uh, DBAs or other things, but they're not uh, the people that you want uh, out front with uh, faculty, students, staff, uh, and providing your services. And so, you know, part of what we do here, and I would expect a lot of places do, is we do find separate tracks for some people. Uh, where there's a technical track uh, where people can be re- rewarded for their technical contributions uh, and don't have to go into management, which I think that was uh, always a mistake that uh, people thought they had to go into management to, to move up the ladder, if you will. And there's also a management track where we do have uh, people that are uh, better at looking across to the board and a broader set of uh, responsibilities and things to get done. And so we have a management track and and we try to reward both of those tracks and uh, encourage people to uh, sort of land where they can uh, provide the best contributions.
1: So, Tom, would you agree that a leader could be someone who is also on a technical track, but a person has a, they, they think like a leader. They don't need to be a manager to be a leader.
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we I mean, we struggled with this several years, many years ago, and we've kind of figured out some of it. We've created uh, staffing tiers for our technical folks that takes them from from a you know from a an engineer to a to a senior engineer to a lead engineer, and they they are they're doing highly technical work frequently working in teams, and occasionally they're leading projects. And so, that, so that we see that as a good way to recognize that te- the, the outstanding technical expertise. And we recognize that that was really an important uh, kind of designation if we want to be able to recruit and retain the best staff because, you know, folks have some aspirations for moving up and, if, and we don't want to push people into management when, in fact, their real desire is to be outstanding in the technical area. Um, but we also are, are looking to cultivate many of our technical people to move into leadership roles because we find that if we have technical people um, with, with those strong backgrounds communicating and engaging and leading technical teams, we typically see better results because they're able to really understand and, and kind of frame the technical work uh, for management in a way that uh, non-technical people uh, don't do quite as well I'm not sure
1: if that gave a right answer. No, I mean, mean, this is definitely a a great response. Now, John, when you are looking at the definition of a leader, besides the senior level people or um, someone who's got exemplary skills, would you take an average person and turn that person around and then earn the stripes of being a leader because you developed another one versus thinking that I will only get the prodigies and, and, and I will get those people turned into Incrementally more, and and that's what will earn me the stripe.
2: Um, I, th- I and I think maybe Tom alluded to this early I, I, earlier. I I think it's always difficult to completely understand what kind of talent you have when you're bringing people into your organization. And I, I've seen some uh, to use your term prodigies that haven't been terribly successful. Um, yeah, you, you not only have to be smart and capable and have the right skills, but you have to be willing to put the sweat equity into these jobs and really understand the, you know, the business in a larger scale. It's typically most of the things we do are not just IT. they are IT connected to some other activity like student life or academics or, or something else. And, uh, are you willing to uh, really understand what other people are trying to accomplish and then bring your skills as a IT professional uh, and collaborate with them to get an outcome? So I think prodigies is uh, is something I'd be a little bit skittish of, and we've, uh, we've certainly had some prodigies, but we've had some really just people that look strong coming in that have been uh, great as they've developed, and it's been fun to watch them develop. And, you know, we've had a few people that haven't gone anywhere, too, and, uh, and then you have to figure out what to do next uh, there. But uh, I-, I think if you continually reinforce, you know, good behavior, good outcomes, and encourage people to take on new challenges, that's the best way to uh, develop talent, whether you saw it coming in or you, you saw it as they developed.
1: And, and to you. that, then. Yeah, go ahead, Tom.
2: Yeah,
3: I, I, John is right on track there because I think we've we've had similar experiences. And what I, what I've seen too frequently is you know when we bring in our particularly our younger talent, um, they tend to really uh, judge themselves by their by the prowess of their technical skills, and they very quickly realize that their relationship skills are going to either help them succeed or are going to indicate that they're not su- succeeding at all. And, and that reminds me of the thought that, you know, too frequently in the IT field, we tend to hire people based on, the, on their technical skills, and we more frequently fire them based on their soft skills. And, um, and so I think that in uh, many cases, we're trying to look for that balance. And I'm also trying to look for that, that, that young person that, yes, they could be very cocky and sure, and, and, they, and they have incredible skills, but I'm also trying to look to see, do they have that, that kind of um, sense of, of building a community within their organization? as part of our team. And, if I, and that's a, an, a, an important factor for us because um, we've seen too frequently that just one, one staff person who can be very disruptive can completely throw the organization off its, off its rhythm. And so we're always very, very sensitive to making sure we get a good cultural fit while at the same time being very sensitive to building diversity. And that's, I think that's been a big challenge is that getting good cultural fit and, and encouraging inclusiveness and diversity in the organization.
1: Let's take a quick break. Let's we'll be right back. And Tom, I have this question of intentionality, which is, I'm not sure if there's a word, but point is intentional, being intentional about delivering results is natural because you are measured, your performance is mm-hmm. measured based on it. But when it comes to developing leaders, Are we truly intentional? Are we just saying, oh, we will give them the environment, create the environment, or uh, support them wherever, and whosoever becomes a leader, God bless, otherwise, hey, it doesn't always happen, it's not 100%. Can we go with that approach towards developing leaders, or is there something we do which shows that you as a CIO or anyone else in the leadership position is truly being intentional about developing other leaders, which is also their job. Please stay your yeah. listeners, we'll be right back.
4: visit today.
0: You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, so Tom, let's
1: talk about the intentionality of developing leaders. While we're intentional about delivering results, but what about us taking ownership about well, developing other people.
3: Yeah, and so um, you know, I, I, I'd love to be able to say that, particularly in the IT leadership space, that, you know, we're, that every day that we're thinking about developing leaders and delivering on our projects with, with precision and accuracy and, and excellence. And you know, I, I, think that, I think that many of us um, you know, tend to gravitate towards, boy, I've got to get this project delivered on, or I've got to get this organization moving in this direction. And we, we frequently, I think, um, look at our leadership development as, as we kind of hit that when, when the opportunity arises. And we probably aren't as nearly intentional as we'd like to be. Now, with that said, I think that many of us try to have a certain set of, of leadership development practices that we put out there, and we try to hit very frequently as part of what we're doing. From my end of things, you know, I, I focus a lot on developing what I call a communication-centric view of IT, which looks at a lot, how do we, how do we better engage with our, with our constituents? How do we better inform our leadership? How do we better own our, our, our issues and problems and solve them? And so it's all around this concept of being highly transparent and, being, and, and walking the walk as leaders so that all of our staff are seeing that, you know, we're, we're doing as we, as we say, not as we tell them to do. And, and so I think that, um, that intentionality is certainly something we need to keep front of mind about uh, leadership development. And, and I, I, I would probably say the opportunity presents itself more frequently as a, a learning, learning by doing day. You know, as if I can help develop leaders while we're moving on our initiatives and we can use the, the, the work itself as, as the topic for how can we do this better, how can we, how can we better develop your skills in handling this. I think that might be uh, one of the things that that I would look for in in how I try to manage my day.
1: So to that end, uh, John, if you were to use that uh, opportunity-based development, people development, and then you had to put that uh, in practice in your respective, in, in your organization per se, then when the opportunity comes to throw them in the fire with the intention that they will grow, but then you also... Don't know if these guys will succeed, and then your neck is on the line, and the project's success is also, uh, you know, uh, in jeopardy or or at least in line. What what are you thinking at that time? Are you truly thinking people and talent and leadership development, or you're thinking your paycheck? <laughs>
2: Well, I tend not to worry about my paycheck, but uh, uh, I I do think when uh, you, you know things get tough, um, that's when you really see some great leadership uh, traits come out, right? So uh, you'll see people um, really uh, hunker down and say, oh, "I'm going to make my way through this, and this is the way I'm going to do it." Uh, you see people say, "Wait a minute, I need a lifeline here. How am I going to make my way through this?" Um, and Actually, both can be positive, right? The, the people that really recognize that they need a lifeline, that's actually a, a level of maturity that I, I think could be useful as long as they're just not uh, giving up all responsibility for what they're doing. Uh, and the people that hunker down could be a negative if they're not recognizing that this is the time when I really need to call in some other troops because I'm, I'm in over my head. And so I, you know, I try to obviously not uh, micromanage these things because I want people to get these things done and I have my own uh, set of challenges to go through. But um, I do try to pay attention to where I think uh, they are in a project and uh, are they at a point of inflection that we need to pay attention to. Um, And then its uh, I agree with Tom. I like the way he said the communications-based leadership. And um, I think uh, I got accused once by one of my directors that I – that I thought all problems could be solved with good communications and I didn't quite know how to react to that. Cause I thought it was a pretty, uh, pretty uh, smart thing to say actually. Um, and I do think you can communicate your way through things and try to understand uh, uh, things. And, and if they're in the fire, um, I think that's okay. Um, the other piece here is I think it's important as you're d- doing these things that. That these projects are with a lot of other groups. Um, so, once again, as I said before student life, academics, whatever. So, for projects in trouble, I'll, I'll also reach out to. Them you know, my counterpart, like the vice president of student life or the provost or others and say, you know, this may be in trouble. And, you know, how should we go about this together? As opposed to thinking that it's just, uh, you know, my responsibility. Uh, and uh, that's also helpful uh, to essentially walk the walk to use uh, what Tom said, that I'm also reaching out to others to help solve the problem. I'm not trying to just solve it within uh, our portfolio if it's a large enough problem.
1: And when, so Tom, this question is for you. When you are trying to communicate your way in and out of situations and develop leaders and, and deliver what you're supposed to deliver, what is the level of authenticity and openness that you're able to keep? Because communication could be used or abused as needed for getting something done. But then if we lose authenticity in the process, and I'm not saying any of you do that, but I'm saying if it is lost in the process, because it's easy to lose, the damage could be beyond repair and sometimes. Wow.
3: How do yeah. you, how do you bit,
1: prevent that from happening when the stakes are so high?
3: Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that a, a, a key attribute when I think about a communication-centric view of IT is that we are really... Uh, building around a, a transparent relationship where we're owning, owning those problems out front, we're identifying the best way forward, and we're making sure that, that we are working closely with all those allies across campus. As John mentioned, you know, he's reaching out to his, his counterparts across campus whenever a problem looks like it's going to grow or a, a project's not going to succeed. And I think that one of the really interesting things for that I've noticed when I, when I came in, I've been in in the CIO role, for about 14 years, and before that, I was faculty member. So I came from a very different world, um, and you know, in faculty being very autonomous, IT having to be very clever to be successful. And, I, and I, I've noticed that um, IT folks didn't have a whole lot of, of communication centric training. They were they they were really focused on solving the IT problem. And 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 one of the best examples that I can point up is. How many times we have our folks racing to solve IT problems and we don't tell our constituents that there is a problem and so they're sitting wherever they are thinking that the problem that they're experiencing is on them and of course the worst thing is when they finally find out it wasn't on them they're furious with us because they spent a lot of time so so I think that I think that the the, the, the there's there's not a risky side to over-communicating, but there is a risky side to only communicating. So, you know, you, must, you, you need to communicate a lot, but you've got to continue delivering and moving forward and being very uh, project management focused. And I think that those two things together are, are, make the difference in a successful development of leadership within IT.
1: So, John, you you look at the dynamics that uh, play in an organization, you talking to stakeholders, you talking to individual team members, individual team members talking to each other. And among all of them, we have to have the right type of attitude, which an individual has. You have to have the right type of group dynamics and a common mindset where each of them should be thinking about where the organization is trying to go. So how much of that is in your control, or you spray and then pray? (laughs)
2: Um, Well, by the way, in in respect to this uh, uh, previous conversation, I also think that one of the things that may be implicit in what Tom said is not only is it good communications and getting out there, but it's also um, the optics of being very responsive. Uh, I remember a long time ago somebody said to me that, Problems, unlike fine wine, do not get better with time. So uh, <laughs> when you when you really get out there and start to deal with something quickly, if somebody's identified something to you as a, an issue, finding out if it's real, it's not real, and uh, being responsive wins a lot of points uh, and really saves a lot of time uh, downstream. Um, so I'm sorry. Uh, your other question was.
1: So here we have got a lot of moving parts, right? So we've got right. the attitude, the intellect, the mindset, the group dynamics. And, and all of them, if they are not working well, then you are leaving something left to be desired. Right. But you would like to shepherd everything to go towards the direction you want it to. So how much of control do you really need to have for you to have results delivered, the team in place, and individuals delivering to the maximum potential?
2: So let me answer that from an enterprise level first and then say how it uh, comes down through all of uh, what we call portfolios. Uh, So we have a strategic plan. Uh, Our president put one in place uh, and got board approval within a year of when she arrived in uh, uh, 2000. Uh, And uh, we've essentially put a second revision of that in place. That's the strategic plan for the entire university. Um, Every year we go through a pretty extensive performance planning process where uh, we identify what the highest priorities are uh, for a particular year so. For instance, in this year, one of our highest priorities is a capital campaign we're in the middle of. So that then tells each of the portfolios, how are you going to do things to support the campaign? And in my portfolio, it may be some things that we're doing with the data warehouse or some data analytics or some tools for our folks in development as they go out and work on the campaign. In communications, it may mean that they uh, have to develop some brand uh, activities and some better communication uh, channels for some of the messages and so on. But having that overall strategic plan Then helps uh, and we force this that all the portfolios align to that plan so within my portfolio we go through a pretty extensive planning process where we uh, put our performance plan together Uh, and I think there's 22 or 23 portfolios at Rensselaer that do the same process and then each one of those plans gets reviewed at our cabinet level uh, and we actually do it three different times we do it once for the plan itself once for the plan to budget and once for, as we're preparing to go talk to the board about where we are in all this. So the cabinet actually listens to three different uh, sessions with each portfolio, it's a lot of time. But one of the things that's nice about that is, at my level, I have a pretty good idea, not only obviously what I'm up to, but what the provost is up to, what the VP of communications is up to, what the VP of HR is up to, and so on. And I can articulate that. To others, but the other piece is when I put the plan together for .CIO with my leadership group, um, actually the inside cover of that plan uh, lists all their names and they sign it. So it's not John Colb's plan, it's, you know, the .CIO plan with 10 signatures on the front page. And that's a way to make sure that um, you're getting people to spend some time thinking about what's their piece of this and how much they're buying into it. And then People take portions of that plan. I actually go through this with the leadership group in, in my area and we'll say, okay, here was a, a challenge where we wanted to make sure that our wireless access points were up to snuff, or that our storage systems were doing this, or that our help desk, uh, we had a new system in place for that. And those are assigned uh, one or two leaders in. Uh, the group that I manage, uh, to say, you own this and you can grab from the rest of the division, but how are you going to go ahead and do that? So that way, there's an alignment overall with the university right down to the the implementation operational groups.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's go further down in this question. And, And Tom, I'd like to ask you Given that the plan was put in place, and John had a phenomenal idea of getting everyone to sign uh, on that so that there is a buy-in up front. But then the ownership has to stay even when the obstacles come, even when there are some other disruptions that happen. Because not everything that you put on a plan is the only thing you'll end up doing, given, again, the type of disruptions that we are seeing today. So when you keep putting more on the plate or keep changing the variety and the volume on what's on an individual's plate, does everything stay the same and and they will do exactly as you expected? And when the expectations are not going to remain the same, what do you do as a leader to again deliver the results, but don't stop developing the other leaders within the group? Please stay tuned, listeners. Uh, We'll be right back and explore.
4: or call 773-693-3919. Visit today.
0: You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Tom, we have to
1: do something with the the zero slack or close to zero slack that we have created or the environment around has created. So it's not leaving any room, even though we create great plans up front, but then things keep changing. So where does the leadership development go and where does consistent delivering of results go?
3: Well, um, I'll tell you, uh, from my role as, as, as the IT leader at, at the University of Dayton, um, I feel it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to to add to the resources that our people need to be successful, and to relieve the pressure when that pressure is is too great for them to be able to be successful. And so, part of what I what I spend my time doing is really um, engaging with our senior leadership around a, a real a realistic priority setting. Um, you know, and I, I'll give you an example of what we face. You know, we have three to four vice presidents who have been here. Two or two years or less, and every one of them comes in with a you know with their vision for what they want to do with their unit, and frequently it includes a new IT system or at least a major upgrade to the existing system, and uh, and so what I'm trying to do is is help negotiate what is a reasonable timeline for them to be able to get what they need, and do I have sufficient staff resources to do that? Um, I, I think that uh, our our leadership staff within IT tends to have a very good attitude towards managing complex projects that tend to be compressed against each other. Um, I think they, what I really appreciate what they do is that they get very concerned about how much pressure that puts on their technical teams and, and how that helps them see the priorities or, or manage those priorities. So, so I don't really have a magic, magic solution to that, but I do know that it, it, the, the conversation is around right-sizing resources, making sure that we don't over-stress and, and abuse our, our current our current staff because what will happen is that we will then have even less staff to deliver on those challenges.
1: So, uh, John, when you look at the projects, individual projects, everything is got a very defined scope. But then there are certain things which are common, fundamental for the whole organization, which makes you more or less effective in any project that you take on and deliver. So you talk about the practices, the policies, the politics, the, the the processes, or anything that is fundamental to the organization. Two types of those elements. One are within your control, so you go tinker with them to see you can make them the most optimized. Then there are others which are not in your control. The max you can do is to appeal to the corresponding stakeholders and owners or to use your influence. What are you supposed to do which will forward your agenda of delivering good or better results every time and also get to deliver or rather develop very good
2: leaders? Well, maybe this uh, this is at the crux of some of what we've been discussing today. I- You know, if if people think that there's just a a textbook you pull out and, you know, you find the right formulas for leadership, you're all set. Um, They probably ought to go off and do something else than be a leader Um, because there are certainly some very defined uh, disciplines. Uh, types of things to being a leader, and we talked about some of those, but there's, you know, there's a little bit of art to this science too, right, of uh, knowing uh, which part of the bureaucracy to poke, uh, you know, do you go in at a level that's a peer level, or uh, do you let the operational folks interact with each other and, and stay away from some of that? I mean, that that's actually something you you learn over time. And Tom talked about a couple of new uh, vice presidents. Well, that then uh, changes the dynamic a little bit. You have to figure out whether those new vice presidents are willing to um, interact in a way that's going to be collaborative or are they set in, in the way they're going to do things. Um, I, I do think that you use both things you can control and things you can influence and uh, figure out how to do some things. Um, I formed a pretty strong uh, collaboration with our VP of strategic communications this past year on the web uh, side of things. Web, is, uh, uh, web presence is one of those places where there doesn't seem to ever be enough resource to to really provide everybody with the web that they want and uh, or the web presence that they want. Uh, a new dean wants a new web presence, a new uh, center director, a new department head, and so on. And so, how do you prioritize that? And she and I brought our resources together, formed a web group that did this. And the first thing that we said to them is, "We'll give you enough cover to make sure you can do the prioritization that uh, we think is important, and we'll we'll hold off the you know the wolves outside the fence type of thing while you're doing that." And uh, so that was that was important for them to hear up front. So when they get these calls from left field, that they, they had a way of, of of dealing with that while they were trying to do what we wanted them. Uh, To do, and I I think that's uh, you know Tom said it. I think it's important from uh, you know a higher level leadership uh, place uh, to be able to use that influence, control, whatever you want to call it, and it's a combination of all the above uh, to help manage things so the folks down in the trenches can get things done.
1: So Tom, there are two types of problems, right? One which you can control; others are you have to leave it to time or to the Almighty. So, because that is, that is beyond your control. If you were to talk only about the challenges and roadblocks, which are perhaps in your control, but we could do a better job as leaders in terms of developing people while delivering results, what would those challenges and roadblocks be?
3: Oh, my goodness. So, um, so if you're asking, like, in terms of the, in the areas where I can control things, I guess that, that's probably the easy part of it. It's, it's – and – very little of, of the work that I think most IT operations do. We feel we have uh, autonomous control. Um, we are so reliant upon everybody else working collaboratively with us, with goodwill, and, and, and hopefully with, with a common goal in mind. Um, I, I guess, I guess my, my challenge here would be um, what, can I, what can I do when I, see these, when I see challenges coming at me that will facilitate a successful outcome, uh, and at the core of that, I think, is work making sure the relationships are, are such that as, this, as these projects or these challenges are, are coming forward, that people trust us and they're, and they're able to come to us and we're able to go to them to make sure that we're, that we're working through it. I, I, you know, in most cases, I, you know, we have lots of very technically capable people. I just think that the biggest challenge at the leadership level is, how well can we orchestrate this? And it, it really a lot of that has to do with how thoughtful we are, how willing we are to go to, to go the extra mile, how much we're willing to kind of suppress our egos so that we can give credit beyond us, or or at least you know open the door and say that we're you know we're here to, to work with you and let's see what we can figure out. So so I think that a, a lot of this is, is um, I think John hit the nail on the head that the the management and leadership piece here is, is more art than it is science, and it's one of being able to read the cues of the people around you. Um, it's, it's one of figuring out how best to empower your staff to succeed and how to build that bridge to the people across campus that, that are going to be uh, the folks who will determine whether or not you're successful.
1: So, John, when you look at the same uh, question that I asked, what do you think would be something that you would... Uh, You are losing the sleep on today, or you think which is going to what? What things are getting more complex, which will prevent you from developing leaders while you know delivering results?
2: Well, a a couple comments here. Uh, First of all, I tried not. I gave up not sleeping, so (laughs) there's enough problems (laughs) here to keep everybody awake. So, um, uh, so I sleep very well. Thank you very much, but. I do think that there's an associated um, angle here that's pretty important uh, with what Tom just said uh, since you have to read the tea leaves, uh where you report in the structure is actually a pretty important piece to this. You know, are you at a level where you're hearing some of those conversations and you can recognize when there's a problem or when there's not a problem as opposed to Finding it out finding out about them second or third level uh, that's very important to me uh, in my organization uh, I report in to the president and the cab- and I'm part of the, her cabinet and that's really important because I can hear a lot of the side conversations and know when I need to really pay attention or when there's there's something else going on um, uh, so that's one issue. The the other thing, and maybe gets to the complexity piece. Um, uh, one of the best descriptions I heard a number of years ago about leadership is, um, and I think this was attributed to a guy who uh, was president of Texas A and M at one point, um, said that if if you have really good people working for you, the only problems that rise to your level are the ones with all bad solutions. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that is just a very elegant way of saying, yeah. What you want people to get to do in your organization is to start solving things before they get to your level. Uh, and if it was an easy choice, they should have already solved it. It doesn't even come to your attention. It's the ones that are really sticky that are have all sorts of communications issues around them, political issues around them, technical issues around them, uh, and so on. But there's no clear way through. Uh, and then when people get to see how I solve them or my team solve them and how we collaborate and how we work our way through that, um, I think that that's when you walk the walk and you can really help new, new uh, emerging leaders see, oh, okay, this is, this is how you go about doing this as opposed to I thought it was just going to be across this T, dot that I, and you're done. And that, I think, is very effective for uh, new leaders to, to see that other people struggle with some of these problems, too.
1: So Tom, you mentioned about relationships and, and which are key for any anything to work in team environment or in an organization. So how much does you as a leader and any of your lieutenants as individual budding leaders are actually working towards building relationship across the pond with, uh, with your uh, business counterparts? proactively so that you're not just waking up one morning and then say, okay, i got to get something done, so let me go and have um, a beverage with this individual.
3: Yeah, great. Good, good one. Because I've noticed that with some of our younger folks, as, as, they're, as we're developing them into leaders, uh, one of the best lessons that they can learn is the importance of reaching out and building those relationships before things go sour. Uh, it's, it's much harder to solve things with a person you, that you don't have a relationship with than it is the one you do. So, so we do spend a lot of that time doing that. And, and, you know, that has been part of what we've driven into our organization is the importance of, of the relationship. Relationships matter everywhere and, and technical expertise matters a lot, but the relationships have got to be cultivated on a regular basis. And so we do that frequently. We have, and I have folks rotating through. I want you to make sure you're touching base. Even if they don't call you, you call them because they're, they're one of our most critical clients. I, I can tell you at, at our university, you know, our enrollment management group, I mean, you know, they, they, bring, on, they bring in the students. That's 80% of our revenue. So um, uh, their, their success is our success. Their failure would be our failure. So um, we are constantly building that relationship. But then also, we, you know, we have a campaign that's underway. John mentioned that, that RPI is in a campaign as well. And our advancement division, they have huge needs. And so if we're not understanding and connecting with them, uh, we're not really doing our job as IT people. And that, that, I think, is actually a change over the many years that I've been in IT. Um, for a long time, IT kind of prided itself on if we could just become like a utility, our world is going to be great. And I think now, particularly at the university level IT realizes that if we become a utility, then they just may as well just outsource us to the cheapest bidder because we're not adding value to the mission. And so um, for our perspective, uh, we want to be a great utility, but we also want to be a partner in innovation. And, and we know that with innovation comes, comes problems and mistakes, but it also becomes opportunities. So I think that uh, clearly um, yeah, the relationship piece is absolutely one of our key jobs.
1: So, John, how would you have taught someone else how to build relationships just by showing how you do it? Because it's such a subjective area of development.
2: Uh, It is. uh, But I agree uh, with Tom. Um, I think it's critical. And I usually tell people, and maybe this is one of those things I learned a long time ago, was make friends when you don't need them. Um, so if you know that someday you're going to be working closely with enrollment management or, you know, advancement or other places, um, you know, get to know some of those folks, particularly when you're not in crisis mode, because crisis mode is not usually the time to make good friends um, uh, the crisis mode is where you seek out good friends and try to figure out how to solve problems and uh, so you know I've spent time with uh, a number of people around campus and I encourage my folks I try to find projects where I can get my folks working with uh, folks they may not have uh, worked with in the past and and to some extent get them out of their comfort zone uh, you know if you haven't worked with student life uh, before well maybe uh, we'll get you involved with the early warning System, and uh, or you know, one of the other projects we're working on with student life uh, right now, uh, like preferred names or something like that, and get people to see. Well, they're trying to deal with a a real issue that is of concern to folks, and how do we go about doing that? Well, uh, paying attention to the things that IT always pays attention to about how it works, privacy, security, all those things. And uh, I think it's uh, sometimes eye-opening for uh, uh, folks in our organization, particularly newer folks that may have come from a corporate background rather than a higher ed background uh, to get that kind of uh, collaborative experience. And uh, I think it's fun to watch and, and once again, watching their development.
1: One last question for you, Tom. If you were to take, say, 10 words and describe the mindset of today's leader, who will make the organization be relevant for tomorrow, keeping in mind that they have to deliver results and at the same time developing people? what would that leadership mindset be? Oh,
3: well, uh, well, I mean, clearly I think that the leadership mindset has to be one of, uh, of being uh, unafraid to be surrounded by folks who are smarter than you, you know, and, and being unafraid to invite debate and discussion uh, among your, your smart people and, and be will- and willing to be able to accept you know, uh, differences at that level. I think that's at one level of making sure that I'm well-informed because I have smart people who are unafraid to tell me what I need to hear. I think the second part of that then needs to be, you know, the language of, of cooperation, collaboration, and, and relationship. But, uh, the two of those, I think to me, um, match it up. I, I want, I don't want to always be the smartest guy in the room. In fact, uh, I'm probably going to be most successful if I'm never the smartest guy in the room.
1: On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, John and Tom, for sharing your views on how the leaders today, with all the fluctuations and the changes that we are seeing in the marketplace and the business environment, can go ahead and develop leaders while delivering results. Thank you so much for your input. Thank Thank you. you. And listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CTN. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, join our LinkedIn community, and please go and download the podcast. They are on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, I Radio. There are quite a few channels from where you can download and listen. So thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless.
0: CTN CIO Talk Network is brought to you by RedMain and BlackBerry.